Well, good morning and uh, welcome again to Crosspoint. If you have a Bible, just uh, turn with me to Psalm 131. Um, if, if the storm would have happened anywhere else, you know, in the country or in the world, we would obviously rightly lift up prayers, but we would probably continue on with, with our scheduled preaching and our ministries, and rightly so. We can't stop as a church, and every tragedy that happens in the world, 24-hour news is giving us tragedies all the time. Um, but when it happens in your own neighborhood, when it happens in the neighborhoods that surround your church, when it happens in the communities that you're living in, it is right and good to stop what we're doing and just to address it and to deal with, with it on some level and to open up the Bible and to let the Word of God really speak into, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, this kind of adversity and, and trial and so I've chosen a psalm, and you will be encouraged to know that this psalm is only three verses long. So feel good about that. Uh, I am praying I will get to finish my sermon this week, uh, which I did not get to do last week, um, and uh, everything like that. So Psalm 131, really short psalm. And let me just read it, since it's so short, I'll just read it, and, um, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Psalm 131 says the song of ascents of David. So it's written by King David. And he says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And I really like this psalm. It's short, number one. It's simple, but it's not simplistic. Charles Spurgeon says it takes you seconds to read, but it takes a lifetime to learn. And I like that. It's it's just a really great and profound psalm. And the reason why I picked it is because he talks about there, some of the key words, he talks about not being occupied with things too great and too marvelous for me, uh, those words really refer to perplexing things, to perplexing things that are beyond human comprehension. Marvelous doesn't mean like something uh, great, like in a good way, but marvelous means something uncommon, out of the ordinary from the normal reality of life. Marvelous things are secret things. Deuteronomy 29, 29 uses the same word. It says the secret things or the marvelous things belong to the Lord. Uh, Isaiah 55 has a similar idea when it says that, uh, that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. There are some things that are beyond human comprehension. And so when David says... Uh, uh, great and marvelous things. He's talking about things that are perplexing beyond him. And of course, it's backed up by verse 2 when he says, I've calmed and quieted my soul. Um, it's important, though, for us to deal with perplexing things, to look at perplexing things, to ask ourselves, how do we respond when the world does crazy things that are beyond comprehension? How do we spiritually kind of deal with that in an articulate and intentional way, in a biblical way, really? Um, You know, uh, perplexing times uh, tend to make us stop and think, and certainly when it's this close. I mean, the the perplexing things about the storm is that a thousand homes were destroyed in Washington. I live in Washington. 
And it's perplexing. I mean, you kind of go, that's just crazy talk. I don't know how many of y'all have driven through Washington. How many of y'all have driven through Washington? Right. So you see how nuts. I mean, when you see the devastation, I mean, pictures don't put into words, right? When you see it live, and it's perplexing. Um, I live in Washington. My neighborhood's perfectly fine. So it's perplexing and why my neighborhood got spared and the other one didn't, you know? And so you kind of ask yourself those kind of questions like, like, dude, I'm fine. My flat screen's right there. I get to watch ESPN, but they don't. That's perplexing. But the other thing about perplexing times when it happens in your, in your backyard uh, is you begin to remember all of the other perplexing things that have happened in history or in time. So anytime something like this happens, I always think back to 1995 and April 19th. I lived in Oklahoma City, and my church was across the street from the Murrah building when it got blown up. And I always think about all of those feelings. It feels like the same thing over again, the kind of all those emotions and confusion and perplexity. We think about 9-11 and other terrorism things, and we think about the tsunami. How many of y'all have seen that, uh, that movie, The Impossible, with Naomi Watts? Have y'all seen that movie about the tsunami and, and the family that survived it? And way to go, preacher, bringing up a well-known movie. Okay, uh, but it's perplexing. There's, there's things that are perplexing. I know as a pastor, um, I've dealt with families that go through things that I just simply, I can't, I can't understand, you know. I've pastored parents that have lost their two-year-old baby in the middle of the night unexpectedly. I've done those funerals. I've, I've stood at the foot of caskets that are smaller than this communion table. That's, that's perplexing stuff. And when a storm like what happened last week happens, you think about those things. You go back there to all of those other things that, that have perplexed you. And, and, and you have to at least acknowledge, wow, this world is really perplexing. It's not, it doesn't make sense sometimes. It, it doesn't do anything. And so you hear people kind of trying to deal with it emotionally, like, like they start like saying things like out of the heart and, and sincerely, but kind of not w- really that well grounded, like, well, God's not in control of the weather, so, you know, he had nothing to do with this. Well, no, that's not true. He did. He had everything to do with it. In fact, there's a Bible, uh, there's a verse, Michael, you can find it there is on the slide. I'm going to let you control the slide. Sorry, dude. Um, But there's a great verse, uh, Isaiah chapter uh, 45, verses 5 and following, where Isaiah is speaking to God's people. He's preaching a sermon. Sermons are important in times like this. And for this very reason, Isaiah 45, verses 5 and following, I am the Lord and there is none other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun... And from the West, that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all things. Well, I mean, when you begin to add your faith to verses like that, or Romans 8, 28, where God says, There I am working all things out for the good of those who love me, who are called according to the purposes. He's working all things. Everybody say all things. Not some things. Not like just the good stuff, but like 
good and bad stuff. He is working together in a tapestry for the good of those who are called according to his purposes and for his ultimate glory. And that's hard to deal with in perplexing times. That's really, really hard. But the one thing that that we can take from that kind of theology of of God being God over the storm, in the storm, a God telling Job in Job chapter 38, God came to Job and spoke to Job in the midst of the whirlwind, which is a good Hebrew word for tornado. God speaks to people in tornadoes. God says some stuff. And so when you add that kind of theology, you have to believe that everything happens for a reason. Nothing is an accident. God wastes nothing. Not one thing is wasted with Him. And not one thing should be wasted in our own life. God basically communicates that He wants us to be intentional about the way we are going to decide that the storm is going to shape us. Because it will shape us one way or the other. The question is, will you intentionally allow it to shape you the way God wants you to be shaped? Will you intentionally allow perplexing things in this world to shape your heart the way He wants it to be shaped? And that's why Psalm 131 is so helpful for us. Because in a very sweet and gracious way, David is telling us how he's allowed perplexing things to shape him. And it gives us instructions on how to be shaped rightly by the storm. And so going back to Psalm 131, let me tell you a few things. Number one, we should allow the storm to shape a God-centered character in our life. Allow the storm to shape a God-centered character in your, in your life. That's what David says. He's singing. He's writing this song. And, he, and he's telling the Lord that he's, he's, he has decided and, and God has given him the grace to be shaped in his character by the things that perplex him. He says there in verse 1, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. He's talking about his character. The word for heart there, it's a Hebrew word. We have no psychological word that's that's really its equivalent. But it, it means yourself, your identity, who you really are. Your heart is not what you do. Your heart is who you are, who you've decided you're going to be. And he says about his heart, his basic self, he says, My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. In other words, he's allowed the perplexing things, the storms of his life, to shape his character in terms of humility. You see the word picture. He says, My heart is not raised too high. My eyes are not like, yeah, I got everything figured out. David's saying, I've decided not to walk around like this anymore. In fact, I've allowed perplexing things to humble me. I've allowed storms in my life to shape humility before God. In fact, I have learned from life storms that I am God. I am not God. I'm not in control. 
I don't know everything. There's, there's not, a, there's not a, a manual for every event in my life that I can go read and figure everything out. Stuff happens that reminds me that I am not God. Stuff happens that reminds me, in fact, that I might need God more than I originally thought. My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I've been humbled. And, and I mean, who? I, if anybody has reasons to be arrogant, it would be David. I mean, this is the guy who by the time he was 15, he was a hero to his nation. He took out Goliath. He was the guy that went, I do do sound effects in my sermons, and knocked down the giant. Giant comes down. Everybody's like, David! And he's all like Justin Bieber with brown hair. Good-looking, talented, a leader. This is the guy who, when he took care of his flocks out in the field, when the, when the bad animals would come around, he would, just, he would kill them very easily. This is the guy who was the warrior, who could go to war, who could beat up anybody. But you see, There was enough storms in his life to teach him that not even he could lift up his heart. Not even he could raise up his eyes. And you know that's what we got to do. That's that's one of that's what you got. You got to allow yourself to go through that. You know what I've learned this week is I've learned by these events and every time it happens. I mean, 1995, 2001, this, uh, storms and more. Uh, every time stuff like this happens, you re- you're reminded of how inadequate you are to deal with it. How many of y'all felt small this week? Like, there's so many needs. You're like, what do I do? And then you get bummed out because you can't do enough for everybody. And you're like, man, I, I just want to meet more needs. What can I do? And you can't sleep. I mean, at least I, I'm, I'm, I'm like jittery at night, you know. Because as soon as I sit down, I say I shouldn't be sitting down. I should be doing something. I should be looking at an email. I should be getting on faith. I should, I should be figuring some stuff out. Let me tell you something. Last Saturday night, I felt qualified to be a pastor. I, I went to bed going, that's right, I'm preaching tomorrow. Right on. I got a sermon. I got a long sermon ready, baby. You know what I mean? I'm going to preach me a long sermon, and they're going to like it. And I'm going to get up there and wax eloquent. Throw down the word. Little Greek exegesis. Let me tell you something. I left this church on Sunday feeling so not qualified to be a pastor, to even be in this community. I felt so small. All week long, I've just been like, I I am not equipped to deal with this. And I know you feel the same way. I've gotten gotten phone calls this week at the church. Frantic people. Everybody say frantic. Freaking out frantic. They're like, I got to do something. I got some clothes. And I picked them up. And I'm trying to find somebody to drop them off to. Because I got to get the canned food. Because people are hungry. And I don't know what to do. And it's like, I literally have to pastor people and say, hey, we're all going to be all right, baby. But you see, people feel overwhelmed. How many times have you heard somebody say, I just don't know what to do? And do you know that God wants us to feel like that? Did you know that? He wants us to come to the end of ourselves. 
He wants us to feel our limits. He wants us to feel that in, our, in and of our own resources, we are not good enough to deal with life. We need resources outside of ourselves. The Apostle Paul said, when I am weak, I am strong. The Apostle Paul said, God's power is perfected in weakness. The the Bible tells us there are some things you can handle and some things you can't. And when you can't handle it, you surrender it to God and say, I can't handle it. And then you get some sleep at night. You don't raise up your eyes and say, I've got to. This is what life is all about. No, it's not. Life is all about bowing before God. Life is about learning the lesson of humility. My heart and my character is shaped by the fact that I am not God. Some churches, they might preach on character and say, you need to be better. You need to to be good enough. You need to be super spectacular, religious, wonderful, perfect. You need to be just like Jesus in every way. And certainly we need to be just like Jesus. But do you know that the root of holiness in our heart is not when we can stand strong, but when we can surrender much. It's good for us to confess. It's good for us when the storm, I saw that church, did y'all see that video of that church? And the the, the tornado was right outside the window and you could hear somebody saying the Lord's Prayer, our Lord, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that whole prayer is about like, dude, unless you do your will on earth, it ain't getting done. And unless you deliver us from evil, we ain't getting delivered. And unless you, unless you reveal yourself to this world, nobody's going to automatically come to you. Unless you do it, God. Even King David had to say, I'm not good enough. I'm too weak. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. And what's great about this song, unlike a lot of songs, it's, it's amazingly practical. It's a practical song. And David tells us how he's able to cultivate and be shaped by a God-centered character of humility. He says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And I love that word occupy. Because occupy in the Hebrew is a translation of a Hebrew word that stands for walk. But the word walk is put in what's called the hip. Stem, which means to walk around constantly, right? How many of y'all have a King James Version Bible at your house? All right, good. There's the godly people right there. Look around. (laughs) There they are. God bless them. I've got one too, obviously. I'm a pastor. Come on. And the King James Version is actually really beautiful with with the Psalms. But in particular, this Psalm, it really captures the word beautifully. It says, I am not exercised over things. I like that. That's what the word means, to walk around. I like to go to the treadmill. I like like going to work out. And uh, that might surprise you. Uh, and I go work out, and, and of course, you know, like I get on the treadmill, and I love the treadmill, and I got the big TV there. I go to Five Points, right? And so that's, we got to get these homes rebuilt so we can all go exercise again. But anyways, I, you got the flat screen TV, and you get on the treadmill, and I get my, my earphones on, and I start going on that treadmill, and I got like a Coca-Cola Classic and a Chick-fil-A sandwich, you know? And I do, I do, I do like, I do like a basically a a a, a medium fast walk on the treadmill. So it's more like I do this for about three minutes, and then I'm done. It's all good. 
But I think about that treadmill, and that's what he's talking about. You know, some people, when perplexing things happen, when anxious times happen, they start using those anxious times as a treadmill, and they run on it all the time. That occupy. They're exercised by the problem. They're, they're constantly fidgeting about the problem. They're, they're fretting, and I, gotta, I don't know, and, and they're just they're constantly on it. And they're walking around it over and over and over again. And David said, I have learned. I've learned not to get exercised over the things that perplex me. He's, now, he's not saying that you and I say, if somebody comes up to us and says, what do you think about the tornadoes? We say, what tornado? I've forgotten all about that. I'm moving on. That's not what he's saying. He is concerned about perplexing things, but not in an anxious way, not in an exercised way. That's a good word. Say, so how can I cultivate and allow the storm to shape uh, a God-centered character that's rooted in humility where you don't occupy yourself with things that you're never going to finally get to the end of, that, that you're never going to finally solve. The storm has happened, that the event has happened, and, and so now it's how do we walk on together? How do we walk beyond and on top of without walking around it? How do we help our neighbor move on? How do I move on? How do we keep moving on? Because it's important to do that. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. I'm certainly not going to try to comprehend something that's beyond human comprehension. If people ask me, how could God allow this to happen? Why would God allow this to happen? The answer is, I have no idea. But I do know that God is good all the time. Because God became a baby in Bethlehem. Because God walked the earth because God healed people because God allowed himself to be murdered by godless people on our behalf because God overcame death because God can turn ashes into a headdress of praise he can turn mourning into joyful worship God can reverse all things God can make all sad things become untrue with time and eternity and his grace God is good all the time and I can praise him in the storm and I can praise him on the good day. He is worthy. And so I don't have to use anxiety as a treadmill. I don't have to worry anymore. Be still and know that I am God. I, the Sunday night, man, I have uh, really great neighbors and they gave me one of those kerosene lamps. You know what I'm saying? Had a kerosene lamp. And I had a book light, and I was so freaking out that, that Sunday night. And I just remember going, man, I've just got to just chill. And I sat down, and I had my book light, and I had a kerosene lamp, and it felt like I was living back like in the early 20th century. And I opened up my Bible, and I read Psalm 46, where it says, God is a refuge and a fortress, a very present help in times of trouble even though the mountains fall into the sea. And I went, I can sleep. Do you know, I put that Bible down, went, thank you, Holy Spirit, went, whoop, and I went to bed. That's moving on. That's giving our anxieties to God. That's saying I'm not going to be exercised over it. That's having a character that's humble. That, that's moving on. 
Allow the storm to shape a God-centered character of humility in your life. Number two, allow the storm to shape God-centered emotions in your life. Allow, allow the storm to shape God-centered emotions in your life. Look at, look at verse 2. He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, that word soul is a really confusing word. I'm just going to tell you. Because the reason why it's confusing is because soul in the Hebrew is different than the Greek, which means that when the New Testament says soul, it's talking about something completely different than what David is talking about in the Psalms. In, in, in the New Testament, soul is something you get or you can lose. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Right, So it's something you can get or receive or you can lose your soul in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, soul, really, the word literally means appetite. Uh, it means appetite. In fact, sometimes in the Old Testament, uh, uh, an animal might have a soul. And the reason why an animal has a soul is because an animal gets hungry and has an appetite. And that's literally what the word in Hebrew means. And so it's used as an idiom for human emotions. Because human emotions, are, they, our emotions have an appetite, and they feed on various things, fears or anxieties or joys and things worthy of praise. See, that, that's what the Psalms is talking about with soul. It's talking about basically our emotions. The, the closest thing we have to an English word that captures soul is like soul food or comfort food. How many of y'all were looking for some comfort food this week? Like the kind of food you eat and you feel better about yourself. Do y'all have that? Like raw cookie dough? Bam. Man, I'm just like, now, now I've got daughters old enough to make it themselves. So I just pick one of the girls, and I'm like, you, make some cookie dough. Like, okay, daddy. You know. And they get it, and I'm like, eh, and I feel better emotionally, right? It's soul food. Right, And so that's kind of what David's talking about. He's talking about his emotions. So when he says, I have quieted my soul, he's saying, I've calmed my emotions. The word quieted means make level. It means that he's taken the, the horizon of his emotions and he's flattened it. He's made it flat, not like mountainous, not like up and down, but he's created and calmed and, and flattened his emotions so that they're consistent, so that they're measured, so that the emotions are, are a measure the thing that he's thinking about. They're quieted. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Perplexing things should shape God-centered emotions. I know for me, man, I, I've just been, this week I've been up and down emotionally. Have you been up and down emotionally? I mean, one minute you're like, right on, man, the community's coming together. Our church is kicking some tail out there. And people are loving each other. And neighbors are chattering to each other. And we're all helping and we're digging and we're building. And, we're, and you know, you start feeling like, yeah, man, we overcome. And you hear it on the news, like, Central Illinois is the greatest community in the history of the world. And you're like, right on. You know what I mean? Like this, and it really is, by the way. I doubted that before the storm. Now I'm glad I'm here, right? Like I'm so proud to be, and so you just get pumped up, and then you go home, and you know what you do? You go, oh, it's so bad. And here I am, I'm sitting here watching Sports Center, and they're suffering. You know, and you're up and down. 
And David knows what that's like. David knows. He's, he's written these psalms, you know, Psalm 22. My God, my God, he says, why have you forsaken me? David's real honest with God. Like, why are you doing this, God? One psalm, and then the next psalm, he's like, God, you are mighty and awesome. You are so good. But here he's talking about a, a spiritual maturity where he's able to say to his emotions, hey, man, let's keep it cool. Let's calm and quiet our emotions. Again, it's very practical. You say, how can I allow the storm to shape God-centered emotions? Well, the way you do it, he gives a great little metaphor here. It's a very powerful picture of, of a little baby. He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul Within me. So he uses the picture of a child that's being weaned from its mother. Now, this might surprise you to know that I have absolutely no experience as a nursing mother. I don't know what that's all about. But I have heard that when a, when a baby is nursing with its mother, it looks at its mother for only one thing, and it's very practical. When the baby sees the mama, you know what they see? They see lunch, they see dinner, they see food, right? And that's all they want their mama for. They get, to their, they get to their mama and they're like, I really could care less if you're stroking my head as long as you're giving me food, right? And that's what happens. But what begins to happen with the child is that as the child is weaned from a nursing stage to just being able to be self-sufficient without that, the child begins to love the mother for who the mother is, not what she can give. In fact, that's a sign of growth and maturity in the little baby is when the baby is beginning to appreciate its mother. And so in the Hebrew, it literally says, like a weaned child upon its mother. David is saying, picture a child that is embracing his mother and the mother is embracing the child and the child is appreciating the mother not for what she can give to him but who she is. Ah. When we first meet God, when we first encounter God, sometimes when we're first a Christian and we, and we believe in Jesus and, and we become Christian, most of the times our level of spiritual maturity is measured by the fact that we always look to God as like an answer man or a genie in a bottle or, or God is like, God is the thing that's going to get me the thing. God's the thing that's going to get me the peace. God is the thing that's going to get me the prosperity. God's the thing that's going to get me the husband or the wife. God's the thing that's going to get me the baby. But as we grow and as the Holy Spirit works in our life and as he gives us grace, spiritual maturity is being weaned off of a God who is only dealt with in times of need. And coming to a place with God where we are worshiping and leaning into who he is and who he is becomes more powerful to our hearts and our minds and our emotions than what he can do for us. That's an important point. David's saying, I've learned to appreciate God and to get emotional stability by leaning into who God is. Not what he can do for me. You know, sometimes we let the practical eclipse the powerful. Don't let the practical eclipse the powerful reality that a human being in relationship with God is one of the most powerful, peace-driving things that could happen 
to your heart and to your mind. We believe in a relationship with God. We believe that God is our Father in heaven. We believe that God has adopted us into his family by faith in Jesus Christ. We believe we are sons and daughters of God if we have believed in Jesus. And therefore, God is our Father. He's adopted us. He has loved us. And we can lean into that. And as we lean into him, we find our soul comforted. We, we find our soul fed. We find our peace. And, and, we, and we find kind of a... A, a, a level ground emotionally. And that's an important question. You know, as a pastor, I really feel called to challenge us and to challenge you. Have you spent time with God this week? Have you allowed the urgent to take the place of the important? Have you really prayed? I mean, really prayed? Have you listened to his word? Have you just come to God and just sat in his lap and said, you're my father and I love you and I will praise you in the bad times as well as in the good. I'll praise you when I lose and I'll praise you when I win because you are a good and awesome God and to be worshipped for your character. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, which means set apart. God, may your name be holy to my heart. May your name be great to my heart. I lean into you. That's important. I, 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 I took my girls to Cracker Barrel and Morton the other night, right? Because, like, everybody's eating out. Even people who haven't lost their homes are like, trick it. Let's just go out to eat, right? You know, we're just going to go out to eat. So I took my daughters. They've never been to Cracker Barrel. And we go into Cracker Barrel, and there's all these families at Cracker Barrel. So we had to wait like 30 minutes in the gift shop, which was a nightmare for me. Because, oh, Daddy, look, and Coca-Cola things. And I'm like, actually, that's kind of cool. And so we're walking around, the, and, and then we go in, and there's all these tables of, of families. And there's moms and dads and Babies and kids and teenagers and things like that. And, you know, almost without exception, you walk in and all the moms and dads, they got out their phone. And they're like. And then they're like. And they're looking at Facebook and they're tweeting and they're taking Instagram pics and they're doing this. And the children are just sitting there like, hi. You know what I mean? And it's like, you want to you stand up in the middle of the restaurant and go, hey, hey. Put down your phones and look at each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, your kid is right freaking there. And you've been freaking out about a tornado all week. And, and they're freaking out and they don't even know why. And you're looking at a screen. Now, beloved, I love my iPhone. I love Facebook. I love Twitter. I love all of that stuff. I have the same problem. But, you know... It might be useful for us to have six days of Facebook and one day of rest. Can I get an amen? At least. I mean, let's go Ten Commandments on the thing. Great. Six days of Facebook. Pick a day out of your week when you put all that stuff away. Grab a Bible that's a paperback or something you got to, like, physically deal with and open it up. Look at your wife. Look at your husband. Look at your kids and tell them you love them. We get occupied and exercised, and then we have unquieted souls and emotions, and we wonder why, and there is God all along, and he's saying, hey, put down your phone and look at me by faith. Look at something that can't be seen.
sense and hear me speak to you. You see, we got to wean ourselves and lean in to the Father. Let the storm shape God-centered emotions. Let the storm shape God-centered character. Finally, let the storm shape a God-centered message. You need a message to take with you out into your community. You need a gospel to take out into your communities. You need to be able to say something when you're asked to give a reason for the hope that is in you. And what I love about this psalm is that David, having been so sweet, he's so sweet and humble, and here's this great man of God who's like, I too am learning. And then he like talks about babies and being weaned, and it's just really sweet. But in verse 3, he preaches a sermon. He preaches a sermon. See, verses 1 and 2, it's autobiographical. Verse 3, it's a sermon. He's like, I got, I, got, I got a sermon to preach now. And he says in verse 3, Oh, Israel. That's church language. That's like, oh, church. Oh, believers. Oh, congregation of those of you who have gathered here today to worship your Creator and your God. Those of you who call on the name of God. Oh, Israel. Hope in the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore, he says hope in the Lord. Hope is one of the greatest biblical words you'll ever learn. It means future assurance or conviction. It's a settled conviction beyond opinion. It's beyond opinion. It's not like, I hope it works out. Like, it is future assurance. And he's saying hope in the Lord. Hope in what God is going to ultimately bring about. God will work all things out for good. We believe that we are going to a heavenly Mount Zion, a city of God built by God that is indestructible, and that he will bring that city with him, and that in that city are innumerable angels. In that city are the saints who have been bought by the blood of Christ. In that city are myriads upon myriads of elders who are worshiping God. In that city is Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. This city, it cannot be destroyed and it will come to us because Jesus is going to bring it, bring it to us. Listen, Jesus said in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus said, based on his resurrection, I will bring a new heavens and a new earth, and there will be no suffering, no pain, no loss, no crying, no mourning, no sickness, no tornadoes, praise God, no hurricanes, we don't like those either, no typhoons or tsunamis, no more terrorists, they'll all be done away with, they'll be thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus is bringing a new world, and we are pilgrims walking through. This is not our home. This is not if if the world wants to destroy itself every now and then who cares we don't care this is not our home our home is coming to us by Jesus in Jesus name hope in the Lord this is our assurance that world will undo all sad things that world in a minute this just one second just one second with Jesus in his kingdom we're going to be able to look back and our memories will not be affected by sadness or sorrow over what has happened but we will look back and see that God weaved a tapestry of goodness even in the bad things because God can bring life out of ashes because God can reverse all death and bring light into any darkness we will look back on the worst of times and say God was awesome to a allow that to happen and to work it out for the good of his glory and his purpose that is hope that is future assurance and that's not blind optimism I know that we look back on last Sunday and you saw me dedicating a baby Penelope easily 
And the sirens went off and I kept going. And I know you think I'm dumb. And I was dumb. But you know, even when we get to heaven, we'll look back and go, man, that's silly, Josh. That was such a great day. Because God can make the worst things come to life. That's hope. This hope is not blind. In fact, I got it up on the screen, but 1 Peter... First Peter outlines the gospel. You, see, you've got you to let the storm shape your message. You've got to let the storm make your, what you believe articulate. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and following. Here's what we believe as Christians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. And the last time in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If people ask us, why do you have hope? What's the reason for your hope? You say, dude, God became a human being died, and then defeated death. That's a great place for an amen. He defeated death. I mean, let's go Pentecostal, beloved. He defeated death. Dude, that is awesome. And anybody who believes in that message, okay, anybody who believes in that message and walks in the hope of resurrection, it doesn't matter. You can take my house. You can take my life. You can take my inheritance. You can take my family. You can take anything. It doesn't matter because I'm coming back to life again. And I'm going to live in heaven with my family. And I'm going to live in heaven with all of you. If you believe in Jesus, I'm going to live in heaven where it's going to be great. And there's no speed limits because there's no accidents. And you don't say in heaven, I hope you have a good day, because every day will be good, and it would be stupid to say, I hope you have a good day. We can come to church in heaven and not worry about sirens ever interrupting my articulate sermons (laughs) in heaven. Beloved, that is hope. And that's not like I hope it works out or an opinion. That is rooted and grounded in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you believe You see, the storm should shape our message. Let it shape your message. Let it shape your character. Let it it shape your emotions. God will use it to good purpose in your life if you allow it to shape you in a God-centered way. A few things to close with. Number one, you need to believe in Jesus Christ. This life is so uncertain. And the only certainty, the only rock, the only alpha and omega and everything in between is the name of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. And you need to believe in Jesus. He died for you. He died for sins. He rose on the third day. And I'm called to ask you to believe in Jesus if you've never done that before. Number two, worship God and love your neighbor. Okay? You need to serve your neighbors. Crosspoint, you're doing a good job. But let me tell you something. This is a marathon, not a sprint. You're going to continue to hear about needs. Washington's going to be recovering for years. We Oklahomans, we know about this thing. It takes a long time. So you're going to hear about needs, and you've got to ask God in worship, what needs do you want me to meet, and what needs do you not want me to meet? 
And how do you want me to go about it? But somebody needs to be blessed and served by you. Sherry and I got a family in Washington that we're going to start helping. You know, you got to pick somebody and then get it in on it. Lo- worship God, love your neighbor, and then finally get connected to church. How important it is that we're connected in times like this? How important is it that we have life groups? How important is it that we continue to develop and cultivate a community where we're meeting needs and also saying, but don't forget God. Keep your focus on God. Stay God-centered. Let's pray together. Let's keep our emotions in prayer. Right. So let's let this storm shape us rightly, and let's pray. God, thank you for uh, this morning, and just it is so good to be able to praise you and uh, and to proclaim you in this place, knowing that your character and who you are is more than enough to give us peace that passes all understanding. But we need your grace and your Holy Spirit to be able not to be too exercised by our events. We need your grace. We need your help to be weaned from needing all of the answers which are beyond our comprehension. We need, we need the grace to be able to hope in you even when it hurts so bad, it bows us over and causes us pain. And God, we need your grace to be the light in this world to rightly represent you, to rightly give an answer for the reason that we have. We worship you.